everybody welcome back to endure the athlete story this is part two of the joe mcconlogue story so if you haven't heard part one i highly recommend you go back and listen to that first and then you can enjoy part two where joe takes us through his road to recovery from his fourth open heart surgery and his journey to completing a half ironman and everything in between so hope you enjoy this one cheers I was very, very ill after the surgery. Don't get me wrong. I was very mm-hmm. ill. And I'll give you some insight. And they, um, Una came to see me in ICU that night after my surgery. And it started to come off. Uh, the, the anesthetic started to wear off far too quick. And because I was allergic to all these painkillers, I had very little pain relief. So whatever happened, I went on this shock. I don't remember, but they said I started to shake on the bed. And, red lights started to go everybody was put out of the icu and all the attention was on me and my bed was right at the nurse's station the first bed because of my situation mm-hmm. and uh so don't know what happened there but they had to work with me and everybody was put out and you know they they were outside obviously a very worrying time for them because then i had to have a conversation with a surgeon um midway through surgery and then you know, they told that if it went well and they got it done and, and then they were in visit, they came to visit me and this was in the middle of the night. It was sort of a special visit they were allowed on just to put them at ease and this happened. Mm. Um, so, you know, it was difficult times for them too, but they got me settled, they got me around. Uh, I think they maybe uh, sedated me a bit more um, and they went home and then I started to come out of the anaesthetic during the night. Uh, that, was a, that was an awful night. Um, I was in so much pain. I was sick again, thrown up because whatever they were giving me, I'm allergic to morphine and other things. So I was so sick, you wouldn't believe it. And I don't, you've, everybody has thrown up and you know the pressure it puts on you. You try that with a 12 inch scar in your chest, it's just been wired together. Mm-hmm. The pain of it is unbelievable. And I had very little pain relief. That went on for hours and hours. And I felt at that time that I was struggling to survive. So I went on and I kept saying, oh, I don't, you know, I'm struggling. I can't, I couldn't speak and I had, you know, air and tubes down my throat, but I knew myself. And one of the things I always remember was this, be propped up in the bed and I was in so much pain and I didn't feel as if I was breathing great, but I kept sliding off the bed. But I kept trying to lift myself up, and this went on for hours. The daylight started to come on. You could see that it was there's three small windows in the ICU or through the door. I don't know, but I knew daylight was starting to kick on, and I mm-hmm. knew well I've got through the night. But I wasn't in a good place, and I was struggling to breathe, really, really struggling to breathe. And the nurse, the shift changed. The nurse was changed, and I had phoned up. And the nurse had said that it was very, very bad. I had a very bad night and I wasn't well and things weren't good. So she rushed over. Before she got over, the nursing shift changed. And, and, and the nurse, I mind, I was struggling to breathe. And I thought, oh, this is it. Like, I, I really can't breathe. And I, I can't, I was trying all night to breathe and it, it was really difficult. And I couldn't breathe anymore. Really couldn't breathe. And I was fighting for every breath. Uh, I kept saying to myself, keep breathing, keep breathing, one one more. But the nursing shift changed, and that that was another miracle. A girl came in, and she was a nurse who had worked with athletes before, an ICU nurse. And she came in, and she looked, I could see her. She had a bag, must have been her lunch, whatever. And she looked at the monitor at the back behind my bed when you're in ICU there's loads of monitors and, lo- and I could see her looking and she had just come in the door to start her shift but she looked at the monitor and she dropped whatever she had in her hand and she started to run and call all our nurses and she said to me are you okay and I just 
I can't breathe. And I don't remember anything after that. I don't know where I stopped breathing. I did stop breathing, actually. They told me that after. But she had worked with athletes, and I think it was either in Canada or somewhere in a way in a different country. And people who are athletic, it's very common for them to have low tolerance to, to drugs, and, you know, pain relief and stuff like that, whatever they do to their mental. But she had come up, she had knew of a drug that she was able to give me. Mm-hmm. Um, I woke up, I don't know, some time later, and I felt so much better. I wasn't in so much pain. I was breathing easier. And that nurse was there, and I said, what did you do? And she just smiled at me and didn't say anything. But I knew whatever she had done had made a massive difference to me. Mm. And in that moment, it was the first time I knew then that, that I could take it from there, that I would be all right. So I spent... I spent the day in an ICU and it was in a lot of pain and stuff, but because I had four surgeries, I knew I could have told you what was coming next. And you've all these tubes in and wires. And I knew then they were going to take the, the tubes out of my mouth. So they did that. It's uncomfortable, but breathing, no problem. Got breathing again on my own. Didn't even need oxygen, you know, very little. And that nurse who tended me that day was very, very good. I'll never forget her. Um, I think she might have saved my life. Like. So, um, started to feel, you know yourself, you're ill and you're in pain and you're sick, but I knew inside that I was going to recover. Mm-hmm. There and then, I knew I was going to recover. So I started to work towards that recovery, knowing everything that was happening. So I got myself out of ICU. Uh, they got me out of there. I started to eat and drink, force-fed myself and... No, I was feeling really sick, but I, I was making myself eat mm-hmm. and drink. Drinking water is one of, I learned was one of the very important things because your bladder's not working, your scapular. So you need, you, you know, you want to get off all those things and get back to functioning yourself. Mm-hmm. So I started on that journey, and that's a long journey. It's, it's days and days. Um, got into that out of ICU and into the high dependency unit. Normally you would spend one night in ICU, one night in the high dependency unit. I think I might have been two or three in each, two or three nights in each at least, and maybe an extra one in high, high dependency at the time. So I had a catheter and I asked the nurse to take it out and let me walk the toilet. He said, no, you can't do that. And I said, look, just you know, give me a chance. I was still sort of force feeding myself, drinking liters and liters of water to try and flush you know, you have all these lines in the, and you can't move. You're actually on a bed and you can't move for 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. And you hallucinate a lot. And because I was um, under uh, anesthetic for so long, you get delirium. Mm-hmm. And that is awful thing to happen. The ex- terrible experience. The things you see and the things are happening. But I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Part of me somewhere in my brain is telling me this is the delirium. This is happening, but it's not happening. So I was mm-hmm. able to manage it and control it very well, but it's exhausting. You'd be so tired. No triathlon will ever make you feel as tired as hard surgery, <laughs> I can tell you. So I, I steadily made progress and I got the catheter out, which is one of the, you know, the nurses used to say, how is that boring you with all the other lines and things you have? I said, it's just, I just didn't like it. So I got out and I got out of the bed and I, I made my way to the toilet. And the nurse said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to the toilet. She said, no, you can't. I said, look, I'm, I'm okay. You're trying all these machines and drains and stuff. So I, I stumbled my way up the toilet and I went to the toilet. And, you know, I was taking off all these things. That was one other thing. I went to the toilet. I was mm-hmm. able to pee myself. My bladder's working. So I continued down that road and I got up into uh, the hospital ward and I was waiting there for echoes and all things getting warfarin and started to walk. As soon as I could get, got all that, I'd still wires and monitors and I had a, a defib connected to my heart <coughs> through my chest, a small defib. But I started to walk, I started to walk around the ward and I was setting myself targets, you know, 50 meters, 75 meters, doing it in quicker time. None of the nurses knew it. It was only me, like, you know. So um, I started to do all that and I, and I started to recover. 
you're you're all in your sink, but you know you're making progress. Mm. So I knew all the things it's taking drains out. It's very painful. They were just pulling tubes out of you, like, and there's no pain relief for me because I couldn't take it. Pulling wires out of you. So eventually, got everything patched up. It was black and blue. <coughs> got all the tests done. And I had been in hospital for over two weeks at this stage. Heart surgery now, I'm now five days. So I'd been there and I'd seen people come and go. And that's all very difficult, you know, when you're mm. in the ICU and people come in after surgery and they go out and you're still there. So got through all that and, and eventually got out. The surgeon came to see me and said, I'm letting you go home because it's better for you to be at home. Yeah. So I got home and I sort of had set myself a target that I would try to be back on my bike in eight weeks. So I got home and I was walking. I was going out walks. It's cold all the time. <coughs> I had memory loss, was, which was very embarrassing. <laughs> Believe it or not, like, you know, mm-hmm. you're talking to people and you can't, you, you can't, you don't understand what they're talking about. And they're talking to you as if you should remember. And you yeah. know you should remember, but you yeah. have no idea what they're talking about. So I had that. Um, I had very poor movement on my left side. My left hand, I couldn't hold a cup or couldn't, um, my left leg was trailing a bit. But I got out walking and it was summertime. So I walked and I continued to walk and I tried to walk and I tried to walk further and I, every day I was making small gains but never thought about triathlon mm-hmm. at that time because I thought it was totally impossible. I just thought yeah. triathlon's impossible. But I had said if I can get on the bike eight weeks after surgery alone and there's a photo of it, you, you've probably seen it. Yeah, I think I we can, wired up, uh, can share it to the, stage. I'll share that Instagram page. Uh, yeah. after as well so people can see it's an amazing see, few photos of yeah. eight weeks later and then the condition you get yourself in there a few months down the line it's <laughs> incredible so, I mean um, that photo of me in the bike was seven weeks and six days after surgery and I, and I said I'm getting on the bike I had no grip in my left hand I was still had monitors and wires on me but I pulled on the cycling shorts got the bike on the turtle I didn't I got uh, somebody to do it for me and I got on I got on the bike and on the turbo training and I held on to it with my right hand and I, I pedaled for five minutes and that was a, a that's where I was at mm-hmm. and that was a great achievement so that was that was eight weeks after surgery so that was August late August early August sorry and I didn't get on the bike again for a few weeks after, but I did get on it again, and that that was my, my road to recovery. Not thinking about triathlon, just thought if I can get on my bike, that was always something that I liked doing. Was that as much but, mentally, Joe, just to uh, feel like you could do some uh, yeah, normal just, things just, uh, again? Just mentally, they say that I could do it again. Mm. But uh, I was very sore from the surgery and all the scar tissue. couldn't move my neck. I, 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 nerve pain, if you ever... Um, Experience. Do you ever have a toothache, a nerve in your tooth? Yeah. My whole body was like that, that sort of pain, you know. And they put, I went and they put me on tablets called pregabalin, which is a very strong tablet. But that that affects your your central nervous system, so your brain is about your but your brain is slower, your reaction times and all. So I didn't really like being on that. I was on a lot of medication at the time, but I didn't really like being on it. And one of the other things I always try to do is get off try to understand what the medication was for and I try to correct that my way and get mm-hmm. off that. So I started all that and I started getting off all that stuff. So eventually I was on a blood pressure tablet, uh, tablets for filling the blood and the pregabalin. And I didn't really like the pregabalin because it was a, it's a very severe medication. It's not something and it's, you know, it's slowing your brain down. You're not, you, you feel, you know you're on it. Put it mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Plus, I was worried about being on the bike, you know, my reaction times and things like that. But January 2020, I decided that I was going to go out on the road on my bike and I wanted to go out on my own because what I did was probably crazy. Like, you know, <laughs> going out on a road on a bike. And I, had, I couldn't grab it. I couldn't hold a cup on my left hand. 
So, uh, and I didn't really tell anybody, and I didn't really, you know, over-explain it. But people knew that I had problems when I grew up on my left hand, mm-hmm. and I was working on it. Stuff and exit, but I wanted to get out my bike. So I said I would get out my bike, and I would cycle down the road as far as I can. So got on my bike, went over the street, got to the bottom of the street, um, couldn't break uh, my left hand, kept slipping off the handlebars. So I had to, I couldn't go out. I had to come home. And I got home, and then I said, you know, I said, no, it's starting to rain. I don't want to get wet because I'm still feeling a bit weak. And so a couple of days later, I had an hour ago. It was a better day. So what I actually did was I taped my hand the handlebars. So I, Insulating tape, and I went out and I cycled the quickest point and back. And if anything had happened, my left hand was taped to the bars of the bike, <laughs> under the hood of the bike. So it was sort That's... of crazy. I never told anybody to know that I did that. Crazy. But I came up with a, I came up with a better solution after that. And you know the 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 hold the wraps you would do for deadlifts. Yeah. So I got one of them, and that's how I kept my hand on the handlebars for until. I got the strength back to hold the left hand on my own. Um, I couldn't, I had to stay in the one gear and that side. I had to, you know, but I wasn't cycling uh, that far. Yeah. So uh, I was getting out on the bike and that's what I was doing to, to keep my hand on the bars. Um, then I started to, they started to look at me what was wrong with this and it was nerve damage, nerves, you know. So they said you could you know, probably build this up a bit. So that, that led to the next part of my training, which was a lot of press-ups, push-ups, you know, uh, pull-ups, different types of pull-ups and, and light weights. Mm-hmm. And I started to do that in January 2019, and I stuck at it, and I was cycling. Um, got back into the pool and started to swim. And somewhere in the back of my head, the thought of triathlon started to come in and longer distance triathlon. And I had watched, you know, a film called um, Flatline to Finish Line where people who had one heart surgery and uh, six people they followed, they do an Ironman and two of them did it. One of them died, one was stopped by medics. So that sort of brought the like, well, but it actually made me want to do it more because there was two who succeeded. Mm. And I thought, you know, if they could do that, and they had one heart surgery, and they made a film about it, you know, maybe I could do it. If they can. Mm-hmm. And, and so I had that thought in my head, and I always said that a year after my surgery, I was going to do something. So I started to run again, believe it or not. I don't know why one day I decided I wanted to run. So I said, I'm going to run. So I said, you like I want to run. So I run from the crossroads, where I live, out to the Comore Park. And it's 1.2k, I think. And I run it. And I thought, oh, this is like running a marathon. And this was about, um, this was January time. It was shortly after I got on the bike and started to train. It all happened very quick. But I run it anyway. And I run it in 9 minutes 46 per k. And I was shattered. And I had been doing some, you know, I'd been doing 20 miles on the bike at this stage. Very easy. Yeah. On a low gear, but the run had, and I lay in the back of the car and I thought, I'm never going to be able to do this. I kept out the weights, the pull ups, and that's what I said. I got myself in really good shape from then and got strong. Long, slow swims, really long, slow swims. Fell in with David Doherty and we were doing long swims, and that was good. So it was very slow and just kept chipping away at that. Started to get back out on the bike with a group with a trainer, um, but still doing a lot on my own because. Felt as if I was holding people back, and I felt I got a feeling when I was out with people they were a bit nervous, me mm-hmm. being there, knowing what had happened. So I didn't really want to bother anybody, and I thought I need to find out for myself if I can do this. So getting on the year, I started to run, believe it or not, and that made the biggest difference to me. The sport, the one of the three disciplines that I hated so much and that I wasn't very good at. I set myself a goal to conquer it and I started to run and I started to run longer distance up on the 16th, 17th day and I was plodding. I wasn't mm-hmm. running very well. It was decided that on the 3rd of June, which is a year to the day after my surgery, 2020, and it was lockdown and all of that time, there's no risk, that I would get up in the morning and at 6 o'clock and then I would do a half marathon on my own to see if I could do it. And I did. 
and I did it in an hour and 52 minutes and I met Gary O'Donnell on the road and he did it with me. Probably not knowing what I was at, but he uh, did it with me. And, you know, at the end I said, oh, I'd like to do 21K and, and he sort of, probably not knowing um, the influence that he had on me that day, he helped me through it and, you know, he's an experienced runner, he's a good runner, so he was able to hear when I was plodding and saying, you know, lift your feet, get your running, keep going. Yeah. So I got through it and I did it. And I came home and I had to have a nice bath. I was wrecked, shattered, leg. I'd never run that distance before, ever. I think 16K was the longest I'd ever run that day. So here I was, after my fourth heart surgery, recovering, and I had just run a half marathon, which I had never done before. And I started to think, a half Ironman is possible here. So there was one happening. Uh, um, it was a club training day, and some of the guys from my training group was doing it. And I bought a new time trial bike. Don't ask me why. I had no intentions of riding it, but I bought it and I sat there and I started to think, maybe I'll do this. And right up to the week before, there was toying the idea of going and doing this. But when I look back now, I was nowhere really near ready. It was a good job. Might have got around it out of sheer just yeah. determination, but it would have been the wrong thing for me to do. But the guys did it and they did well. And it sort of spurred me on and said, no, maybe next year I could do this. So I was training away. You were there yourself and, you know, all very low end stuff. I started getting into this zone two training and it was great. I had more time now because I was retired. Mm-hmm. So I was sort of all time. time. And the zone two training worked really well for me. We spoke about a guy, I think it was you actually told me about him. He'd done a marathon, trained zone two and did a marathon zone two and did a sub three hours. Mm-hmm. So all these things were triggering in the head, thinking, oh, this is, you know, I could possibly do, not only do a half Ironman, but do it in zone two and get a good time if I put that hours in the training, you know, just go out there and train at zone two, do the long bikes, the long runs. So we were training and then that's where I sort of was locked down and that. So my training schedule, I was training during the day, sort of fitted in and so it would go so we did a lot of training together no real schedule but I was learning a lot from him in the run which was my weakest discipline mm-hmm. he had done a lot of running he had a I think he had a sub 245 marathon which is no mean feat and he was a good runner mm-hmm. um, and uh, so I learned a lot from him um, on how to run and how to get faster without suffering as much you know and they started to believe that I could run Mm-hmm. I was a plotter before, but I was starting to become a runner, and that progressed over months, and I was running a lot better, and I was within my heart rate zone, so I started to believe a wee bit more myself in the run, and bike was going well, I was always my best discipline in the bike, and the swim was always something that I was okay at, and okay was good enough for me, so I started to train, and then <clears throat> I started to think about this, doing this half Ironman, which was back on the 11th of July, yeah. Started to think about that very early. I had done some of the training for 2020. I had done some of the longer training, but I didn't follow the schedule right. And I was probably doing more biking than anything else. I was pretty fit, but not not to the extent where I was. And the program I was following was uh, Don Fink and Melanie Fink, the half iron distance. And it was mm-hmm. really good. Yeah. It was a lot of zone two, and it was only in the end where you went on to do some efforts in zone four. But I never did them. I stuck to the zone two stuff in year one. So uh, Gary and myself were training and training a lot more together, and I said, no, I wouldn't mind following this program. So we looked at it, and he looked at it, and he actually, we both bought the book, and there was a winter maintenance program in it. So we started to do that, mm. with no intention to do in the half Ironman at that stage. So we started to follow that program, and it was really good. And we never missed a session. We never missed a beat over Christmas and New Year. And, you know, we never, I think we took two days off. Because the session was that suited to me, the recovery, which was very important, was built on this. Mm-hmm. I wasn't getting injured. I wasn't getting tired. So I knew then from my own experience, I'd done years of traveling leading up to that six or seven. So I got a bit of experience. So I knew that what I was doing was okay. Mm-hmm. because those would be the markers the triggers the indicators you know if you're getting injured if you're getting tired that something's not right that your training's not right but that wasn't happening to me and mm-hmm. I was getting better and better at lower heart rates 
I've never actually got tested. I was going with the old heart rates from the previous test. So uh, decided that I might have a go with this half Ironman in London and Bunkrana earlier on. So uh, the first thing we aimed for was the triathlete, which is the fuck we're doing. So it was a 16-week program. So we'd done the one-term maintenance, and we'd went through it several times. So we decided we'd start the 16-week program and build under the fuck we're doing. Um, I wasn't for doing that. GRI was going to do it, so I was training with them. So uh, we thought we'll go for that and, and we'll lead into that. But that was cancelled due to mm-hmm. COVID. So the next one then was the the one the club training day. There was word that that may be happening around. So we just said, look, that's eight weeks on. So <laughs> we divide we we adapted the training schedule to be extended for eight weeks without overdoing it. Mm-hmm. So we sort of put in, you know, what we would have called 0.5 a week. So instead of going from week 7 to week 8, went week 7 to week 7.5. Mm-hmm. Again, followed the schedule that he never missed a beat. Um, I was getting better and better. I was running up on the 2 hours, 15 minutes, and we were running up 17 miles, which was great for me, you know, 26, 27, and I was really enjoying it. And then we started on the, the 6 weeks training peak in the book and it was a wee bit apprehensive because some zone four was coming in there and i wasn't sure so i got tested as you know mm-hmm. um, I, I was delighted with a test that was one other thing that was on the back of my head i knew i needed to get tested but um i didn't know if we would get the numbers that i liked but it did mm. and i was happy with them i yeah. was really happy with them you know i'm sort of in a better place than i thought i might be um i didn't get a lot of Checkups, my heart condition at this time because of COVID, and spoke to a few people online, and you know, it just wasn't well, that was in the back of my mind, too. Mm-hmm. You know, I was going under this and I hadn't really had a checkup, yeah. felt okay and felt good. So, I don't know, you know, things were starting to fall on the kitchen. I got a phone call from uh, the cardiologist to say. That she was going to start doing some tests, some echoes, um, things like that, and they were all done. Um, about they were done around April time, which was great timing. Mm-hmm. And the numbers came back, the tests came back, and there was no deterioration, so that was good. Yeah, for me, uh, everything was the same in numbers as they were. They're not great, and I, you know, and I do love every day with heart disease and my heart percentage of how my heart works was a lot less than a normal person probably less than half mm-hmm. but i'll always have that but it wasn't getting any worse so that was good and i had done a lot of training to that point so it wasn't affecting me in that way yeah um and i, I did all the, all those tests got all my checkups they were all squeezed on the gear and everything went well so i was happy to continue um training and i, I just coincided with me starting the zone four yeah, in between that, believe it or not, uh, probably from the surgery, I got a bug. <laughs> I had a, you know, I was bleeding internally, basically. So I was getting a lot of tests, cameras, and stuff like that in between. And mm. um, we discovered that it was a bug and they were able to fix it out with a blast of antibiotics. So trained right through that. Mm. Um, just thought, you know, I've trained through worse and just going to keep training through, pull back really lowered my heart rate at the yeah. times I was on antibiotics and stuff like that and was trying to be as responsible as I could be and I suppose coming from someone who taped their hand on the bike the bar of the bike uh, I was I was being as responsible as I could be but I was really focused on the training and really really wanted to do the half Ironman really wanted to do it and I was telling everybody probably including yourself that my goal was to get across the finish line. Yeah. And that was, that, that was my goal, was to get across the finish line. I didn't care about times. I didn't care about, you know, if it was, didn't make a cutoff or whatever. I just wanted to get around the course and do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I was getting better in training. I mean, numbers were good. My times were good. And I thought, I wonder if I could have gone under five hours. Would that be possible? Like, and sort of mentioned a few times and people looked at me that they say like most normal people wouldn't try and go no five hours is a pretty decent time unless you're a top end athlete which i'm not like you know but for someone mm-hmm. like me an amateur 
under five hours isn't bad. Mm -hmm. So I was playing with that, and then I started to think maybe I could beat one or two boys on the way, you know, mm -hmm. one or two. And then I started to say, no, don't be thinking like that because that will ruin it for yeah. me because I would start to push. So I, I put that out of my head and I stuck to my numbers. In fact, I came back a wee bit and started to train in the lower end of zone two. Yeah. Um, started to come under the training peaks of zone four. Uh, started that, was a bit worried about that. But a couple of weeks in, I started to get better. I, I really did start to get better. Started to run faster, started to bike faster. My power was good. My heart rate was good. My pace was good. And it was I wasn't getting injured or I wasn't feeling overly tired. Mm -hmm. And we had some good training sessions, you know, that we did where we stuck to our numbers and you knew the times were good. And um, we went down and we did uh, the training day in the Sheep Haven, which is a tough course. And we didn't sit, you know, we didn't break any records or set but we had a real solid training day. Times were good. The run the run time was delighted with that off a bike. Mm -hmm. The bike was solid, the swim was solid. That was three weeks out from London, um, and I was feeling really confident, you know, that I, uh, bar accident or something really going wrong, I was confident that I was going to get around that course. Yeah. Um, so training went on, and we came on there two weeks uh, taper. I've made adjustments to the bike, all the things you do. Um, went and did a time trial, a very, very measured 25-mile time trial. I have to say, I didn't put myself under the red, or I didn't overcook it or didn't and I went out and did, I wanted to do it on my own for myself just to see if I really was where I thought I was and mm -hmm. I was delighted with how I'd done that evening given what I had set out to do I was delighted I wasn't wild far away from some pretty decent triathletes so mm -hmm. I was happy you know with how I'd done so everything was in line every you know all the training was going well and we'd done the two weeks taper and I probably started a wee bit of, you know, doubt, maybe. Started the, um, see, I, know, I was trolling the internet for things. I was trying to reach out to, uh, you know, cardiac athletes, to, but I couldn't find anyone who had four open hearts. I just wanted to see if there was someone out there that would give me a wee bit of hope. Mm -hmm. You know, couldn't find anyone, and that's when I started thinking, am I the only person <laughs> doing this thing? And I still haven't found anyone, so I don't know if I'm the only person or not. But if there is someone out there, I would be more, you know, yeah, delighted uh, to hear from them. If there's anyone but, out uh, there that has done any triathlons or even any longer distance triathlons, get in touch with us and uh, we'll put you on the Joe. And I'm sure you'd be delighted to chat to you about it. Would definitely would because I have, you know, I'm not saying there's no one out there, but I haven't discovered anyone, and I've tried, you know, try, I've looked in all the places where. You're likely to find someone like that. Mm -hmm. Definitely, people have had heart surgeries, but not four. Um, so two weeks out under the taper phase, and as you know, when you're tapering, you're not training as much. You've got more time, so we're starting to get a wee bit edgy. Mm -hmm. But I knew the wise side of my hair. I knew that I had to taper. That I had to couldn't go into this race fully loaded. Yeah. I had to you know taper and. All the time I was training with Gary and he had lots of experience and you know he was sort of saying no we need to do this and we need to do that and we were bunching off one now and it was good to have someone mm -hmm. there the whole time through the whole journey and uh, I'm, I'll give credit where credit is due you know Gary did stick with, with me that whole training station you know and mm -hmm. he'll tell you I helped him but he was a big help to me just to have someone to train with yeah um and just the timing and he was the right person for me to train with for this for this um, event yeah i just needed to do I, I didn't feel like i could do it in the bigger in the, the wider group because there's too many different people at too many different levels and then you find you're trying to compete with them and train yeah. and things like that so it was either on my own or with one other person and that's why it works so well for me mm -hmm. and it was an added bonus that jerry has over 25 years experience in the sport yeah. And I've speeding off that all the time, especially on the run. Mm -hmm. And so we went down to the two weeks taper and I was really looking forward to doing the race at this stage. Part of me was, but I was starting to get apprehensive. You know, I was starting to uh, sort of think of things that could go wrong um, and not really tell anybody about them. And then I would look back on my experiences and the things that I had achieved to date and sort of that would, you know, it was up and down thinking, 
I can do this. I've had worse days. You know, mm-hmm. Definitely, mm-hmm. I've had worse days now. I'm in good shape now. I can do this. And so uh, that brought me in under the race. And I was starting to have imaginary injuries and things, I think. <laughs> <laughs> or I was looking for. You, you know, always I do. Sort of, I got this injury in the hamstring, and that's exactly what Gary said to me. That was normal. So, you know, that experience again of people who've done more triathlon than me and who are better at me was great they have you know so got a bit of our treatment on it and got a bit of advice and what they do and spent most of the saturday before the race with my leg hanging over the back of a chair trying to you know because i tried to run on saturday morning uh with a wee short session a 15 minute bike check a 20 minute run and i think i run five minutes like i couldn't mm. run i knew it was an injury that was you know i had to write myself off and there was still a bit of hope so I treated it all day that Saturday, got prepared, got my nutrition prepared and thought, right, I'm, go- I'm going to go here anyway in the morning. So got up, didn't sleep at all that night. Didn't did sleep you, did at you know? all. No, no sleep at all. Like I was really, this was probably the biggest, you know, I had done all the races where I was racing for, um, you know, I had once before, you know, I had one age groups and funny second in age groups. I had won a, a, a series before, and but this was the biggest race that I was ever, or I never called it a race, I called it an event. <laughs> uh, it was the biggest event that I was going to, and I know yeah. it was only a club training day, but for me, it was the yeah. biggest race that I was ever going to have to do. So got up in the morning, went, and surprisingly, I wasn't at all nervous on the day of the race. It wasn't the way you can get nervous, everybody. I wasn't mm-hmm. at all because I had I had achieved the first thing I wanted to do, and that was to get to the start line. So I was there yeah. at the start line, and it wasn't a big, massive group going out uh, and did, and no idea how I would do. I knew there was possibilities you know that i could do okay but also knew there was a possibility that it would be i just get it get round and get over the finish line um so i went out and it was very calm and then the swim started off swim you know i was trying to think up of risk tactics as you do you know they give me i didn't do all this training they come and make a stupid mistake mm-hmm. so i had planned my wrist my biking was my strongest event so if i needed to work or make time, that's where I had to do it. And I knew that. So I had decided, for example, that I would put my socks on after the swim. Mm-hmm. So I didn't mind if people got out on the bike in front of me. I thought, if I'm going to get them back, that's where I would get it. I didn't want to waste that time going out on the run because, yeah. you know. So I went out in the swim. <laughs> Started off, and I think we were going with a tide for the first couple of hundred meters, but we turned the boy after about a hundred meters, you know, and you're talking to yourself. And I felt fine, but I ask myself a question you know can i maintain this pace and still be racing in five hours and the honest answer was no and i was sort of saying to myself she's when did you become like this <laughs> you know being cautious but i wanted to finish the race that much yeah i thought i can't so i let it go i let the group go yeah so i was behind them and they were they were we were swimming against the tide and all that now because of the pace mm-hmm. and i looked at it after and i was swimming I was working. Well, I was putting in the effort that I wanted to put in, but I wasn't swimming at the pace that I wanted to swim at. Yeah. But that was because of the tide and the conditions, and the group pulled away from me. Mm-hmm. And I decided I would let them go, and they they put a you know a substantial gap in, um, before the boy the turn, um, but I just kept going. And at that stage, I had conceded to that I would be going around this course on my own, and that it was now me. Yeah, and the funny sling, and I was relaxed because I knew it was enough. I was fit enough to do it. Yeah, yeah. So it might have took me six, six and a half steps, but I was going to do it. I knew in that moment that I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a question of whether I was going to do it or not. So, got round the boy, looked up, could see the group up in front of me, and there's starting people that come on behind from uh, all our distance. But and I was in that hole, so I just put my head down and I kept swimming. I, I'm confident that I'm a pretty decent swimmer and I'm not going to set the world alight, but I'm okay. And every time I looked up, they were coming back to me and I started to think, they might have went a bit too fast against this time. Maybe I, I've been right here. Mm-hmm. 
And by the time we got into the last boy, I had made, I had closed the gap significantly. Hadn't closed it fully, but closed it the more than half of what it originally was. Yeah. And I started to feel maybe I'm getting this right. You know, maybe I did. You know, maybe I did taste this swim well. Yeah. So got out, stuck in my plan. Gave that they were all, everyone was away on the bike. I wanted to be on the group because if I could get on there even psychologically that the race was going to be easier for me and mm-hmm. I was taking every advantage that I could get I needed every advantage that I could get so got out still put my socks on stuck to the plan let the group go away um, got out on the bike and I thought right I'll put in an effort here and see if I can get them back I was confident in my, my, on my bike up biking ability that mm-hmm. I could give it a go at least and that it wouldn't ruin my race didn't know where I'd get back into the group or get back into the mix. But I gave it a go. Uh, within, um, Tony Gray was there. and He had told me after that he was shattered for those first couple of minutes. So he asked <laughs> me trying to fight back on. But 12 minutes, I think, and I was back. Back on. Now, yeah. it did go deep in those 12 minutes. And I didn't look there, look at my heart rate um, or anything else or my power because I knew... It was way over and above. It was coming out of the water. I knew it wasn't. It was just a waste of time looking at, yeah. at that stage. Um, because I didn't plan for it. I thought I might mm-hmm. have stayed in the group in the swim. I didn't plan to be dropped in the swim. But in the same token, I was okay. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to put myself in danger. They of not finishing the race, just they swam a bit quicker. So got on the bike and was feeling really, really strong on the bike and the whole bike leg and felt strong right to the very end the bike didn't wasn't overtaxing for me and it was times I was sitting doing pulls 26 mile hour and I knew I was feeling strong mm-hmm. and, and I would probably be safe to say maybe some of the other guys that were there might, but I would say I probably was the strongest person at that time mm-hmm. on the bike or I had more left in the tank maybe it was because I didn't swim as hard yeah. as the rest and maybe it was because I'm just naturally biking as my, my best discipline or maybe it was just the way I was feeling but it felt good my nutrition had all been good at that point I was getting the fluids on I was eating on the bike and it didn't felt good on the bike felt good coming on to the run got on um, my plan I put my socks on worked a treat because I was first out <laughs> of transition uh, on the run and for me I mind thinking the best case scenario for me best possible case scenario for me in this this race would be to be on the run course first I knew I was never going to run because yeah. I was probably the weakest runner there but I thought if I can get out there first then it's just down to the run and I knew exactly what I could do in the run mm-hmm. so I did get out first but it was a no time the guys were past me but I expected that fully mm-hmm. so went out a wee bit quick in the run which is natural but very, very quickly realised I was running too quick and pulled it back. And the run at that stage, because I felt so good coming off the bike, I felt I was running really slow. Mm-hmm. But the pace was probably a bit quicker than I wanted to be, so I kept pulling back and pulling back. And I had been passed already by three other people at that stage. But I, I wasn't actually worried about that. And at that point, I never thought breaking five hours wasn't in my head or passing anybody wasn't in my head. Yeah. So I just stuck, just stuck to my plan, and I looked ten yards up the road, and I said, "I'm going to run this twenty-one k in one hour forty-five minutes. I know I can do that, and that's what I started to do. Mm-hmm. And I did it, and I got out in the first five k. There's people in front of me. People had passed me. They were obviously running faster than me, and I stuck, and I kept me. I was on a pace that I wanted to be on, and I kept on it. And I started to see that people were coming back to me about mm. 7K into the run. And I thought, oh, this is not happening to me. This, this couldn't be happening because I haven't got any faster, but I was sticking to the pace. And I had passed back um, one of the people who had passed me. And that was, I couldn't believe that that had actually happened because it, up until that stage, I just wanted to get to the finish line. Mm-hmm. I hadn't looked at my swim time. I hadn't looked at my bike time. I had no way. Only thing I knew at that time was, the pace that was running because I had to stick I knew that was a number that I could maintain so my first K and my 17th K were in the exact same pace and then we went through transition for the last time to go out 
and I started to suffer. <laughs> I don't know where it was mentally, because I think we had about 5k to do at that stage. And for the first time, I started to suffer. And I, I, did, I went downhill very quick <laughs> from there, the run pace, started to slide. And uh, and at that time, you just get to the finish line. So I didn't care if I was last or who was in front of or who was behind. And you were there that day yourself, so you know Mm-hmm. Well, it was just get, it was a case then. I was one, held a pretty. pretty I was one of those pace. ones that you were starting to catch. Yeah, <laughs> I was in the same boat. Me, people were saying to me, you know, you might catch me. I, I didn't care. I'll be honest with you. I didn't care where I caught you or not. At that stage, uh-huh. I was suffering and I just wanted to get the finish line. I was and the I knew same. you were probably suffering too. And I was the some same. Of people, you know, we were all suffering because we, it was a pretty fast pace. It was a lot yeah. faster than I had intended to go out and do. Yeah. And again, I hadn't looked at my time. So I uh, got the finish line and I actually did see you up the road, but I knew I wasn't catching you or anybody else <laughs> because I was really on the back foot then. Yeah. And, I, you know, I was suffering as much as anybody else. But I maintained, I, I kept going because I knew I was going to do it and I got across the finish line. I couldn't believe it, I thought. But I didn't look at my time. I just stopped my watch and didn't look at my time. Um, got changed, people, I think while I was out in the course, the word started to spread, that this guy's out there, he's doing this, I was going well, by yeah. all accounts, I didn't know I was just doing my thing, but people were coming up and saying, geez, you're going well, you're, mm-hmm. uh, it was a lot of people, you know, and say, the things that they were saying, he was really encouraging, and that helped me get through it, you know, mm-hmm. um, Tony Gray was there, he was my sort of nutrition man, and he was in my ear, he kept me going, and you know, he was giving me any nutrition that I needed, and because of COVID, we, we couldn't, you know, there was no water breaks or nothing, so, you know, that everything went, it was just one of those days that everything went right mm-hmm. for me. You know, people probably look and go, you didn't do that great. You have to understand where, where I had come from. Mm, definitely. And if you look at the photo, photos, and that's the photos that you're going to put up, you'll see, and just to do it was great. So got on, stopped my watch. I was delighted. I think everybody could tell it was surreal for me to get it done. Um, it was tough. The last five k hours was tough. Don't get me wrong. It was, and there was times during it that I thought, but I always knew it was never going to stop. Like I was going mm-hmm. to keep going. I wanted to stop, but you always want to stop when it is. Yeah. From I've been a few years since I've done one, but I mind having that feeling before, mm-hmm. and I knew I had that ability to push through it. That I, I knew I was going to get the finish line. A great feeling when I got there. People were congratulating me. I, I, I don't, I, I didn't know. I had nothing to say. It was surreal, like for me, they have achieved it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think anybody will understand. People will who were there who know me closely, or any yourself, even to do this, uh, you know, podcast mm-hmm. is sort of showing that you recognise. Yeah. From a traveling perspective, probably what you know, you anybody who does traveling knows, you know. The commitment it takes, how difficult they are. Mm-hmm. Um, when you get bad days, you know, and I did all of that with heart failure and yeah. heart disease as well to deal with. So you know, it, it's it's good for me that I'm doing this podcast and that people would recognise and hope someone out there that it helps them. Yeah, you know, maybe it doesn't have to be heart disease, but it, it could be something or anything else. Mm. What would you say, Joe, to anyone that is in that position, maybe? Same position as yours, where it's a hard problem or just some problem, or even somebody who's healthy. What's your advice? The easiest thing to do is to say that you can't. Never say that you can't do something. You can at least try. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would have always said that if one person can do it, another person can do it. Mm-hmm. You know, one man can do it, another man can do it. And the Iron Man motto is nothing's impossible. But I think it's down to your mindset. If you, a lot of people who do triathlon anyway are, you know, I don't think you would do triathlon if you didn't have some sort of that mindset of, you know, endurance and putting yourself through that torture and pain that a lot of people who don't do them would say that. But I would say, you know, you know yourself, you, do, you know, you can't blame it, you can't rely on anybody else. Mm-hmm to tell you that you can't do something. You have to make a decision that if you want to do it, you're going to do it and you're the only person that control that. Mm-hmm. And I made that decision probably as early as I could. 
And for me, it was a case of get busy loving or get busy dying. So for me, triathlon was my sport. And mm-hmm. for me, they love uh, uh, the life that I want they love that had to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And it was a good way for me, you know, to show people that, you know, I was told that I would have to learn to walk and I might have kidney failure and I might have, need a pacemaker and all these things that were supposed negative things just mm-hmm. to survive. But I wanted to show that, you know, the wool, the human mind and the wool, the human wool is, I don't think there's anybody who can measure it or knows how far we can push it. Mm-hmm. I believe that we really only, you know, our minds stop us. Yeah. All the time that our physical physical ability is much greater than our minds will allow us to tap on it. Mm-hmm. And triathlon and athletes in general are people who try to override that. Yeah. Because when they get into the business end of a race or, you know, if they're if, if they're on a fight for first or second or whatever their challenge is, and my challenge was just to finish this race, but all our people the Olympics is on at the middle and at the middle they're challenging for gold medals and they have mm-hmm. to fight for it. Yeah. And the mind, you know, the key to success for me is if you can get them, if you can override your mind to put you in a place where you didn't think you could go, then your body will not let you down. Mm-hmm. And my right. body, um, you know, inapt as it is, the norm person doesn't let me down. Yeah. I just had to get control of it and get the mindset right to push myself into that place where, you know, I could I could get the best out of the body that I have, the physique yeah. that I have, the issues that I have, heart disease and all. Well, and it just shows you that you can. When you, you come from fighting for every breath, like you explained earlier That's in the right. show, and fighting for your life, which you don't have a choice, you have to fight. You had you to fight, no, right, as you yeah. say, for life, life or death. And then they go to a triathlon and obviously use that what you've come through is as probably as you said before it's it's easier a triathlon's easier than any any challenge you faced coming out of the surgeries there's one of the things that I kept saying to myself especially in those last 5k and iron man was when i was suffering and i was suffering and you were there you and it, you know what it's like you've done triathlons everybody done knows when you're suffering that's I just kept saying that I had I've had worse days than this, mm-hmm. and I did. Mm-hmm. And yeah. one of the things that kept me going is saying I've twenty minutes to go here. I faced on the worst days like this, and knew that it was going to be weeks, months, yeah. yeah, before I could get out of it. And so that was easy for me to override that mindset. Yeah, and you must have an immense sense of gratitude, you know, each day, like when you see where you've come from, to be able to get up and go out and enjoy oh, your bike yeah. and feel healthy and. I suppose it's a message to anyone that, including myself, that hasn't had anything major health problems that you need to just take every day for, you can't take it for granted. You just have to be grateful for every yeah, day you wake up healthy. And you have to enjoy it. No matter what it is, you know, I'm on the sports and and I love the outdoors and I am really grateful to, you know, even, and it's, it's it probably makes it easier for me in a way because, when I go out on my bike and it's a nice day and I'm if I'm wherever I am and the scenery is beautiful, I still always say to myself that I am the luckiest person on the planet. I mean, the surgeon told me that. He says, you are the luckiest person on this planet after my surgery. Unbelievable. He says, you, he says, you know, it was the most challenging thing he ever did. And I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I couldn't tell you how anybody that has any medical issues or lifelong issues would tell you that the medics that care for them are, you know, and it sort of came to the fore a wee bit with COVID and people seeing what nurses and doctors and people, but they do that every day, COVID yeah. or not. And they're unbelievable. You know, it's just on a bigger scale. That's unbelievable what they do and what they can do. Yeah, because... So, you know, and they gave me the chances, they did. And my way of repaying them is loving life to the full. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try and every day I put my two feet out on the floor. I promise myself that I will that day love life to the full. And probably one of the downfalls for me on that is when I see people who aren't, mm-hmm. 
doing it. People who aren't, and I know people out there have a lot of issues and it's just not as easy for them. I, I, I'd be disappointed in them. It, it angers me a wee bit when I see people wasting the opportunity of life. You know, maybe someone who's lying about doing nothing doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. and that can happen easy. I understand that. But no, what I would tell people is never let anybody tell you can't. If you want to do it, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. You have to make that decision. It's like going to a training session. It's getting out of the house. It's the hard part. Once you're there, it's easy. Yeah, and hopefully anyone listening that is struggling with that or is in a slump because of health issues or mental health, that they can just take inspiration from this. And as you said, if you could do it, somebody else can do it, then it can be their own goal, no matter how small or how big that they should go after it and take inspiration from your own story. Well, I, I've done it now, and what I would say to anybody, and I say, I always to say it myself, one man can do, an other man can do. I've done it, so so can you. Mm-hmm. What's so next for you, Joe? Be, uh, I don't know. <laughs> There's things floating about in my head, and I've, I've uh, well, I suppose we're crazy, and I people who do travelings, you know, but yeah. learning to surf, as you know, so yeah, really, that'll really be good. Enjoyed. I didn't have the first, I had the first surfing lesson on Monday, and I thought halfway through it. Why did I not do this before? Uh, it's, it's it just was all the things that I love being in the water, being in the outdoors, and just you know, I didn't do nothing spectacular. I managed to get up on the board a few times, but uh, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I have an hour one now on Wednesday, so or tomorrow, so I'm looking forward to that. Brilliant. Still training away, you know, not the schedule. Um, yeah. I find sometimes when you've went through your schedule and we stuck that schedule so long, it was pushed back so many times with COVID and. Uh, that get, getting a break from that schedule mentally is good. So I'm training, I'm actually training away every day, but I'm not sticking to the schedule. Yeah. I got up today uh, with intentions to go out on my bike and I, I ran instead. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because it, the weather was poor and I thought, um, yeah. so, you know, I'm still enjoying doing swimming, biking, all the usual stuff. I'm enjoying it. Um, some really nice bikes and that good weather, really. And, you know, thankful to be fit, see, to be fit and going out and doing that is, is yeah. so much easier and so much more enjoyable. But um, I don't have anything planned at the moment. Surfing was sort of something I always wanted to do. Did you want to never try? got around it. So I wanted to try it. And I don't don't know whether it's something I will take on or not, but mm. um, hopefully it would be because it you know, it, it was all the things that I enjoy. And if you know, if I'm get half decent at it, it's something I wouldn't mind having a go at. From what you've just um, told us, Joe, I can see us in about five years' time sitting down and saying, first man to surf a 100-foot wave after <laughs> well, four oh, open hour yeah. Olympics, well, the I, next Olympics. When I, was, when I was going to surf, and the reality was much different than, you know, I was picturing a Hawaii shorts and a bottle yeah. wave. But it wasn't really that, but it was, it was very enjoyable, a lot more enjoyable than I thought. I'd watched boys surfing before. Thought they'd spend a lot of time waiting on the wave, you know. Uh, but that's how um, it plays on when you're actually uh, out there. So I enjoyed it. Um, there's some things like uh, playing about. I would like to do Muslim Malin. Say I always wanted to do that. Yeah. Um, just it was one of those things I wanted to do. The thought of doing a full marathon is there. You know, I don't know because of the advancements I made in my running ability in the last, mm. in the lead up to saying, man, I never undertook a marathon before. Now it's something that I think maybe I could do, you know? Yeah. So maybe when the summer's over and I'm starting training, that might be something that I aim for. The big thing I'd always wanted to do, and I always said I would like to do it before it was 50 and I'm 50 next April and I haven't done it as yet, but it might have to be pushed back a few years. I'd like to go to France and I would like to climb the Tourmalee, Mount Fun 2 and Alta Hayes. That's something I would really, really like to do because I watch the Tour de France every year and have yeah. even before I get in. I'm just amazed at the climbs and what the pro cyclists are doing and the watch they're putting out and up them. And I would mm-hmm. actually like to go there and feel what it's like to go up it on my bike. Like, that's so unbelievable. So I think something I would like to do. If, if anyone's listening with any contacts or any any just contacts to make that happen let's get in touch and get get you <laughs> out to climb the climb uh, else. Else, all right. i probably Anyone? know me i probably will at some stage get there like but when i'm fat now i would like to do good but stuff let's somebody training, listening fat. good stuff that's brilliant joe um absolutely inspirational um uh, 
story so like that's this. That's my story, and it's uh, you know, people have said to me before, you should write a book. You should. I've never done anything before, so thanks, Emma, for the opportunity. Uh, because I, I find it difficult to talk about, as you probably picked up on. Well, well, that's um, what I was going to say, Joe. Yeah, I've known you for years. I've trained you for years, and I've never heard ninety-five percent of anything you just said. No, yeah. I've, I knew you went. Have, like. I knew you were going on for surgeries, you, but you don't know the extent. You don't know the ins and outs of the recovery, the mental aspect, your family. Like it's, you're just Joe shows up five minutes early, and <laughs> and you're there at every session, and you don't mention. You just you just get the session done and that's it and you, there's, there's no drama made about it so to hear your story this ep, this podcast is called endure the athlete story and there's yeah. you just sum it up because you endure and your illness you endure in your training you're an absolute animal of an athlete and that's a bit <laughs> one of the best best stories that you could come through and be where you are now so thanks for coming on and sharing your story in and i hope it helps people and i hope um it helps yourself too and that anyone oh, it definitely does it would, would help you know I suppose um it's probably the first time I've, I've sat down and outlined my whole story and there's i mean you that does only touch and you know there's so much more mm-hmm. i mean there's, there's a lot of bad days where you know you just you know you think your words crashing down on you and I try to focus on the positive mm-hmm. and that's why triathlon was so important to me. It was a big positive. Mm. Um, the people who do it seem to be, you know, it's, it's their out. It's, you know, and it was definitely my out, my, you know, it was my solace getting mm-hmm. out of my bike was, you know, that's when I felt good, when I was happiest, especially when maybe the days on the twin weren't. Uh, yeah. it's so good you know when you're you're not feeling physically the best you mm-hmm. know to get out on your bike and just that that's where you know that's where i got my joy and my pleasure out and running and triathlon and meeting up and getting under the water and just you know would encourage anybody it's possible they do like you don't have to you know my gold medal was completing the half ironman on whatever time i did um, yeah. i did it in four hours 58 minutes by the way i broke up five hours that's so. a- that's uh, unbelievable. That, that's just one of those days. Four hours, fifty-eight minutes, and forty-seven seconds. I took a photograph, my watch out, and that's I just couldn't believe. That's part of it as well. Like, yeah. you're, you, we heard your story, everything you've come through, but, and then between times where you were training stuff, you weren't just, and you can tell from your mindset, you weren't just there making up numbers. You, you weren't just out to complete a wee easy session. You're a top athlete, and even I had Connor Bradley, a friend of yours, on the show, and a top Irish runner runs for Ireland, a phenomenal athlete, and we talked about it in the show. Yeah. Connor trained with us for a while uh, during an injury in the bike, and he was just saying about like trying to train you and keep up with you in the bike. So this is a man who's at the top <laughs> of his game as a runner, and um, even on the bike, like he's, he's always talked about trying to keep up for you in the bike and you're someone who's come <laughs> through these surgeries so and then to do a, a half ironman of 458 for anyone at any age is unbelievable for yourself yeah. approaching 50 years of age and coming through four open heart surgeries is uh, just i couldn't believe incredible it. i actually waited i was an hour after across the finish line before I dared look at my time because everything else was a success for me and just couldn't believe it when i looked and seen four hours but i just thought some days everything just goes goes right and that yeah. was one of those days and i was really lucky you know no bike mechanical anything could have happened to yeah. stop stop me from achieving it and it didn't i'm really really grateful i did all everything i could do but there's other external forces that can happen any athletes happen there's all punctures mechanicals injury yeah. really lucky and really thankful that it, everything went you know went in my favor and made it possible for me um, even though I had a lot of work to get there, but you know, I was really, really glad that something trivial didn't stop me from achieving what I said I did achieve. Unbelievable! Thanks a million, Joe, for sharing your story, opening up, and telling us the whole journey. It was unbelievable. They listened. I'm sure <laughs> many people's going to get a lot of inspiration. I feel like 
Well, I feel like an it helps one person. Like. <laughs> I feel like an out for a training session myself here and now, just to <laughs> just to be grateful for my health and well, the ability to do you. that. So it's yeah. thank you. So uh, cheers, Joe. Thanks a million. So, show's over. Thanks everybody for listening. Hope you enjoyed that two-part episode with Joe McConnell. An incredible story. Absolutely unbelievable. The things he had to overcome. The physical, mental struggles to get back to fitness and health. And then I think the takeaway is just being positive. Having gratitude for your health. um, Getting up every day and enjoying your body and what you can do. And for anyone that is going through a tough time with their health, that there's there's hope and positivity. And we see that from Joe's story. So hope everyone is inspired by that and motivated. I certainly was. So um, if you enjoyed the show, please leave a review. Please share it with your friends. Please give us a message. Um, let me know your feedback. Uh, but he, greatly appreciated and again thank you to everyone that listens to the show really really appreciate it and it means a lot um everyone that listens so uh stay tuned we'll be back next week with another great guest and enjoy thanks